Welcome to the Data Stack Show. Each week, we explore the world of data by talking to the people shaping its future. You'll learn about new data technology and trends and how data teams and processes are run at top companies. The Data Stack Show is brought to you by Rudderstack, the CDP for developers. You can learn more at rudderstack.com. Welcome to the Data Stack Show. Costas, we talk all the time about how we want to have guests back on the show to catch up with them. And we were able to do that. We tracked down Taylor from Meltano. We had Dawa on uh, a while ago. I can't remember how long ago, but it was a while ago. And uh, it was a fascinating conversation. They're building some super interesting things. And so we're going to catch up with Taylor, who leads product. And I think I just want to hear how things are going. I mean, they were kind of building this almost command line interface, you know, sort of configuration layer for the data stack in general across pipelines, orchestration, et cetera, which is very compelling for a number of reasons. And so I want to hear how that's going. And of course, they, you know, are big investors in the Singer system and all those protocols and that entire community. So uh, yeah, I'm just excited to see, to hear how things have gone. How about you? Yeah, I'm very also like curious to see like where Meltano is today. Meltano is one of these products or companies, like both, that's like when you see like their, you know, like their, what they have done, how they have started, how long they've been around and how hard they are trying like to build a business around that, like really makes you like appreciate like what it means, like how important perseverance is like for building a business and like, that's something that I have to recognize to them and something that they should also like be very proud of. Right. So these folks just don't give up and so that's yep. amazing. So I want to see like where they are today. And one of the things that I definitely want to discuss with Taylor is about like developer experience, like that's mm-hmm. how they differentiate like the product. Yeah, I compare like to the competition out there. So yeah, I think we're going to have like a very interesting discussion about how you can approach like the problem of data pipelines in a different way. Well, let's dig in with Taylor and talk about it. Taylor, welcome to the Data Sack Show. We are so excited to talk about Meltano again. Uh, we had Dawa on the show before. And we always say that one of the best parts is actually, you know, recording a show and then checking back in later. So we're super excited to hear about what's been happening at Meltano. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Really, really excited to have the conversation. Okay. So how did you get into data? Give us the backstory. Yeah. So my background is in in chemical engineering and coming out of grad school, I decided I didn't want anything to do with that. And kind of looked for a way to, to use the skills that I gained in grad school in an interesting way. And, and kind of the data side really caught my attention. I joined a startup in Nashville that was focused on genetic testing in the healthcare mm. space. And really that's where I grew a lot of my data chops. Prior to that, I used MATLAB and Excel and was doing some you know relatively simple like data modeling, but it was there that we had real business needs. That's where I, I fell in love with regular expressions and built my Python and SQL skills. Was there for four and a half years and then moved over to GitLab where I started as a data engineer and was able to lead the team as the company grew from 200 people up to over well over a thousand people as it made its way 
to its IPO. And there was huge for my career because we were able to be very open about everything we were doing. That's also where we started the Meltano project, which is where mm-hmm. I'm at now. I uh, was able to join that team in 2021 as the head of product and data and have been there for, you know, coming up on a year and a half now as we've grown the community, grown the company, and uh, are really trying to make a, a really fantastic ELT uh, tool. Awesome. Well, first thing I have to say is I don't actually believe you that you were doing simple things in Excel because anyone, anyone I know who's fallen in love with regular expressions who started in Excel my experience is that they were essentially building software in Microsoft Excel <laughs> before before actually like discovering notebooks and then that sort of is, you know, great freedom. Yes. <laughs> Basically, yeah. It was doing things you probably shouldn't do with these tools because you're unaware of software development and the way this other industry had evolved. Yeah. We were using, I think, subversion for some of our code practices and we literally had like four computers that were running some of the models we were doing. Uh, it, yeah. was, it was this whole world when I actually started working with actual software engineers. I was like, oh, there's a better way to do this. Yeah, yeah, totally. No, I mean, I literally remember working with someone who would like, we had a computer and they would just like run stuff in Excel overnight. And it's like, this is yeah. absolutely insane. Whatever it um, takes. I love it. Okay, the Costas is going to last because I love when I get to ask this question. But so chemical engineering background and now you work in data what lessons did you bring with you from chemical engineering and do you still use any of those in your day-to-day work with data i I think so one of the i've talked to a lot of former chemical engineers people who have gone from chemical engineering to other disciplines a lot of them programming some like went to law the big things that I, i go back to from my engineering training are really about understanding systems and understanding how these pieces fit together and, and things move. One of the biggest skills I, I learned coming from grad school in particular was really how to troubleshoot problems, how to take, you know, I'm having a, a bad outcome, whatever it is, maybe this you know, result doesn't look good or this equipment isn't running. And to really have a disciplined approach to breaking problems down, subdividing them and finding, okay, is the problem, you know, before or after this step? And it, it seems kind of simple, but it, it is a, a practice until you kind of see it work a few times in the real world. It can be you know, kind of foreign to, to, to some folks when they're faced with a problem on their computer, they get a stack trace in their code. Mm. How do you then go and, and subdivide the problem? And that's, I think, is the biggest thing. But then also just thinking like systematically of understanding like mass balances and what are my inputs? What are my outputs? Where can I see things happening? And then how can I break the problem down even further? And it's just, it's engineering. It's problem solving. It's taking, you know, what you know and maybe learning some new things to, to solve interesting problems. Yeah, super interesting. Yeah. I'm always fascinated by that because you think about, and I am way outside of my expertise, but free radicals and like when you think about chemical stuff, like there's behavior that's like extremely difficult to predict, you know, even in controlled environments. And it's like, oh, well, actually a lot of those same attributes are true, all sorts of data as well. Super interesting. Okay. Well, tell us about Meltano. So, I mean, the Singer ecosystem is, you know, it's, you know, sort of a huge amount of its worth to the work that you've invested in it. It's growing. That's super exciting. When we talked to you a while ago, that was a huge focus. You're also looking at sort of the ops layer as well. Oh. Um, so tell us, you know, what's been going on in Meltano over the last six months, you know, from a product perspective, and then 
why don't you just also tell our listeners like the vision of the company? Because it's been a while. Yeah. So Meltano really exists, I think, to bring like a better way of working with data to the larger data ecosystem and frankly to like software development. If, you know, coming out of GitLab where this project came and a lot of the founding team was is from GitLab and kind of the DevOps principle was built into to how we think about things. And Meltano really was, you know, the way data teams should build a, a data platform or build their, do their work modeled after software development. That meant, and particularly in the, the GitLab framing, like one, one tool that can kind of do it all. The big difference between GitLab and Meltano is GitLab's like all first party stuff and Meltano has a, a lot of third party software that you can integrate with it. We've yeah. gone through, you know, a couple of refocusing moments in the company when Dawa took over the project in 2020, really focused on kind of the open source ELT side and saw a lot of traction with that. As we spun it out, we wanted to fo focus on this larger vision of becoming the foundation for your ideal data stack for any team's ideal data stack. And what that meant is like, how do we work with the rest of the ecosystem? We're doing a, a really good job with making the Singer ecosystem better, enabling you to run taps and targets smoothly, orchestrate them well. But there's this whole other ecosystem of tooling that it, it can be hard to fit into your, the different parts of your stack. And so when we spun out, we started moving towards this larger vision of, okay, Meltano could be the foundation. You can bring in Airflow, you can bring in different tools, superset, Metabase, anything really that's open source or it has either a container or, you know, it's Python installable. And yep. we made specific product choices to, to make that happen. We introduced a new command to allow you to run composable pipelines. It's Meltano Run. So you mm. can you know, chain together your tap, your target, DBT, great expectations, and trigger you know, some further downstream tap. jobs. We've also enhanced things around the Singer ecosystem. So it's not just a tap and a target. You can also intercept data in between. It's called the stream map and filter data, anonymize it, you know, drop data, do whatever you need to do and kind of give you that, that level of control. And so the, we still very much believe in that larger vision, but as we like would go to conferences and talk to people get really excited about this idea, like, oh yeah, data ops, you know, platform infrastructure, it's exciting. They understand eventually why people need it, but also we recognize it wasn't meeting people where they were today. We were maybe a little bit further than a lot of folks in the industry actually are. Mm -hmm. And most problems are like, yeah, this, this is really cool. I would love to be able to do this. I'm still struggling with my extract and load, just like pure data movement problems. Yeah. So what, what we've been doing here in the past few months really is just refocusing, doubling, tripling down on the ELT side of the story and beefing up the SDK for writing taps and targets, enhancing functionality within Melpano specifically around ELT to be a fantastic solution for that. But all the pieces are there for this larger story. And I'm excited to, for us to get to the point where we can like earn the right to continue investing in that. Cause I still, I think we as a company still believe very much in that mission. Yeah. Yeah. Super interesting. Costas and I were just talking about Coalesce. Costas wasn't able to join us there, but one of my big takeaways was as advanced as all the technology is, and you need know, to walk around the vendor booths and there's some amazing stuff out there. When you talk to the practitioners who are doing this work on the ground, a huge number are still trying to solve like the fundamental challenges. A huge number are. And so that really resonates because I think it's easy, you know, I mean, you're, you know, you work for a data vendor, you're building out product and all that sort of stuff. And it's 
way easier for us to look into the future because that's part of our job than for our customers, right? Who, you know, certainly are doing that, but actually have a lot of pain points that they need to solve as part of their job today. Um, and a lot of those problems are basic. Okay, so I have a question for you on that. Like what, why do you think with all of this advanced technology, like why do you think the problems are still basic for a huge proportion of the practitioners and companies out there? Yeah, this I love this question because I think it, it gets to the, it's like an industry-wide challenge. And I think this will change over time as more data practitioners kind of come up through the ranks of different organizations. My hypothesis and what I've seen in a, several places and with folks I've talked to is like data isn't a strong consideration from early in the, the company's life cycle or its overall genesis, or maybe it's a, a really old company and they've gone through a lot of, of change. When data is kind of an afterthought or seen as something of just like, oh, we can pay for this, we can invest, you know, X amount of, of dollars and we're going to get some return with our data, I think it really is a, does a disservice to the people on the teams that have to implement this kind of work. And for me, data has to be kind of foundational to how you think about running more modern business, particularly tech businesses. But anything you're doing in a company is, is generating some form of data and you need to yeah. have that data lens. I, one of the reasons like not to get, you know, too highfalutin here, but like one of the reasons I really fell in love with data engineering and, and chose the infrastructure and the hardcore, like low-level data pieces, I felt it was so foundational to functioning and to a lot of these problems that we want to solve that one, it's like great career stability. Like people are always going to have data problems. But two, I just saw like, you can't do all these fun data science things unless you have a, a solid foundation mm -hmm. of good data engineering, best practices and workflows. So part of it, I think is just, you know, there, there are people who don't maybe understand what the current state of the art or capabilities are with data and how to use it to better operationalize all parts of their business. But that's changing if people kind of come up through organizations and they get a little bit of power, they're head of data at a new company and they can affect that change. But people are just at different stages of this journey of learning, hey, I enjoy you know building charts, but now I need to learn a bit more about software engineering and how some of yeah. this works. So it's a maturing practice with professionals that are gaining more skills and gaining more influence across different industries every day. But does that kind of answer? Yeah, no, that's super helpful. That's super helpful. And I think you got to the root of it, whether it's a newer company that is just trying to figure out, say, product market fit or basic growth things, you know, it's really easy to de-emphasize data if it's a, you know, a legacy, you know, or sort of like legacy enterprise that's been around for a long time and they're trying to become more data-driven, you know, mm -hmm. sort of different sides of the same coin. And that's a really hard, and that is so hard, right? You have to have the entire company committed to something that you work really hard at. And early, like early on, actually, it doesn't bear a lot of day-to-day -day fruit, right? It just seems like extra work, but you're investing for the future. And that's that takes a huge amount of commitment and foresight from a company to be able to do that. Yeah. And I think there's parallels in software engineering. Like, are you investing in a, a really good engineering culture that works well with your product team and can deliver, you know, bring back insights and have just a, a positive feedback loop. It's not a, it's not a one-time thing where you put in some resources and you get mm. something out. 
where that's really functional, both on engineering, both on data. And there's just so many similarities, I think, between data teams and software engineering teams. It's that investment, that kind of like positive flywheel across the entire organization. And, you know, I think early days for a lot of companies, it is a bit of a leap of faith if they haven't seen it in practice. And I'm hopeful now we see, we have more people that like are true believers in a positive sense, you know, they're informed by data and their experience, but you like are able to articulate why it's valuable to invest in data in these processes and to build that flywheel. Yep. I love it. All right, Costas, I could keep going, but please, please jump in. I know you have so many questions. Yeah. So I'm, first of all, I'm super excited that I have someone from the product side because I can make like, you know, like some really hard questions. Like for example, why someone should choose Meltano today instead of like something like Fivetran or Airbytes or Data, right? Yeah. So yeah, why? Like what's so much better about like Meltano compared like, let's say the other solutions out there. Yeah. Our focus right now is on a very particular persona. So if you are a data engineer or, you know, very data engineer adjacent who is comfortable on the command line, isn't afraid of a Python stack trace and, you know, wants that control over your software, that's when Meltano is going to be a really good choice for you today. We've kind of saw that gap in the market where, you know, there are good point and click like solutions for day one situations to, to move your data. When we've been talking to a lot of users and hopefully potential customers as we build out our managed offering, the pain points that we're hearing are you know, cost is rising and I don't have a good sense of why or how I could even improve it. And there are problems that, that crop up that I can't fix and I'm stuck in some sort of support hell, as it were. And we, what we're aiming to do is kind of give users control back over their data platform, but in a way that um, we are still able to help them solve problems. But when something goes wrong and something will go wrong, I, I think that's something that other companies don't necessarily like to admit, like, oh, we've solved this problem. Data's moved. Don't worry about it. Point and click and you're good. Something's going to change. Something about the system outside of your control is going to change and you have to be able to adapt to it and to respond to it. So Meltano is going to be a good choice for you when you want to understand the code that's running in, the, in your system, whether it's the tap for the target or even DBT and have that transparency. We've also built in kind of the software development best practices into the product. So there are YAML files that define your configuration, the, the state of your system. And if you've worked with software engineers and, and they're going to be begging for tools like that because they understand the value of version control. So that's a long-winded answer, but the day one experience of Meltano is continually improving, but Meltano is going to really excel today for the day two problems that you're going to encounter when something is changing and you need to adjust your system and you want to test it and, mm-hmm. and move forward with confidence. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Like, and I'd love to discuss more later about like the developer experience and why it's like so different. But why do you think that like companies like Fivetran or Byte or Seeds Data, they didn't go after like an experience that is, let's say, more native to the data engineer? Because at the end, it's not like Fivetran or Byte is like used by someone else, right? Like inside the organization, like you will end up like the pipelines, it's like, the core of the work that like the data engineer is doing. So they have like to deal with these tools, right? So why they didn't do that? Yeah, I'm, I'm curious about that as well. And I think there's a couple of 
of hypotheses I have around that. One is that, you know, we have the advantage of coming into the market a bit later where these companies are a bit more established. And, you know, previously it had been data analysts that had been doing a lot of this work. I think, you know, data engineering is still like relatively a, a new title. I don't think, you know, I don't think data engineer is ever going to be called the sexiest job of the 21st century. And as I do more product and have like these, you know, pseudo sales conversations and talk to users, it's very easy to get pulled into the idea of, oh, okay, you're facing this problem. We'll just, you know, build this UI for you and you can kind of point and click problems will, will kind of be solved, but you're not actually, you're talking to like, you're talking to the buyer, but not necessarily the user all the time. The advantage that Meltano has had in the market is I think for three, you know, almost four years now, it's been completely open source, free to use, and has been able to organically kind of attract this audience of data engineers. And as we talk to them, you know, they're the ones implementing these products and yeah, they want the convenience of not to worry about things, but when they do have to worry about it, they really need to solve some of these problems. And so we've talked to people who are paying customers, you know, a five train of, of stitch and they're like, yeah, it works for some of these things, but I would really like, you know, X, Y, and Z. And I think there's a place for Meltano to, to come in and give them a lot of that, that control back and hopefully be a better experience that they can build the kind of the foundation of their entire stack on. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. But I mean, Meltano is still trying like to build like a SaaS business, right? Like mm -hmm. without like a self-serve solution that you post for your customers. So you still have like to take care of, let's say like the infrastructure, like the issues there. You have, you need like to run the operations around like the technology itself. Yeah. Obviously like someone can do it on their own. They won't like to use the open source version of it. But at the end, like someone who's going to pay Meltano, they're going like to be paying like for something that's hosted by you. So, yeah. uh, I mean, that's like what is like also the similarity with something like Firetran or like even Airbyte, because, and I'm saying like even Airbyte, because Airbyte also have like an open source version of it, but at the end, like that's how they also make money. You go like to their hosted version and you pay for it, right? So, and things will go wrong for you too. It, like mm -hmm. Salesforce at some point will be like, no, we're not going like to reply on your request. Like what you do, you know, and like suddenly like the pipeline breaks, right? So what is like different in the experience? That needs to be implemented, let's say, for like a self, like for a, sorry, for a cloud hosted like product yeah. that makes it, let's say, uh, much more uh, convenient or like native as an experience for a developer compared to, let's say, data analyst. Yeah. So a couple of thoughts there. We are doubling down on the command line interface as the primary interface, at least initially for a managed offering. Mm -hmm. What, what we're talking with are kind of our early alpha users and full transparency, we're, you know, in the process of building this, we're pre-alpha, but we have some folks lined up that are excited to use it. They're comfortable using the command line interface to interact with the product. There will be an API as well. If they need to kind of orchestrate things themselves and the UI will come eventually at some point, because we're just going to need some form of UI to check basic things and not everybody always wants to go to the command line to check things. But in terms of getting like your work done, it's going to come from the command line interface primarily. The other piece is transparency around what's happening within the managed platform. Most likely we will 
at least have like a source available version of what's what we're actually running on the managed. Like the code itself will be proprietary, but you can actually see like here's the code. A lot of this is informed, I think, by our GitLab history, where GitLab is, you know, they have a free open source version of GitLab and then everything else is their enterprise edition. But you can see all the code and you can actually make contributions if you want. And I think that's a really exciting model because it allows people that there, there are certain groups of people that, that will be able to say, hey, I want you to go ahead and manage it. But I'm also like smart and I can figure these things out. If I can, you know, help you quickly figure out a bug, it's going to help me get my support ticket figured out faster. That's the second aspect. And then the third aspect is, hey, here's the actual code that's running for your tap and your target. If for whatever reason you need to fork the, you know, tap snowflake or target Postgres, or whatever it happens to be, you can fork that, still run that fork on Meltano, and then we can work with you to merge it back into the main branch of whatever connector Meltano or, uh, ourselves are managing and allow people to quickly solve their own problems because there's a lot of downstream components that rely on data engineering. Instead of saying, hey, there's a problem with Fivetrain and it's out of my hands. Some folks may want that because it does kind of shield them from whatever political pressure they may feel inside. But for folks who are like, this is mission critical and I, I don't really care to, to worry about the deployment of the stuff, but I do like to know what code is actually running. And, and if it's mm-hmm. Python and, and if it's built on our SDK, like it would be cr- pretty quick to change it. So th- those are the, the kind of the, the paths that we're threading of what makes a better developer experience and it invites people into kind of how we're, we're building this product and business. Okay. That's super interesting. So let's start with like the CLI experience. Yeah. What do you think of like CLI is like so important for a developer? And it's more, let's say, important than like a user interface, like a graphical user interface. Yeah, I'm definitely speaks to a different audience and, and definitely a, a different persona. When you're on the command line, it is very, it's utilitarian. I think there are fun things that you can do to make the user experience more enjoyable, but there's nothing generally, it's a well-designed command line that's like, getting in your way of getting the job done. It speaks, I think it communicates hopefully to to people that were like, we're here to get the job done and kind of get out of your way. And that's why I like fell in love with DBT as a product because it, I, you know, GitLab has never used like DBT cloud. It's only ever used DBT core, used it from the command line. And it was just a very comfortable interface. And then it also works with all of these other tools that you have on the command line in bash built off kind of the Unix philosophy of piping things together. And so I think it just, it does speak to that audience. And it's also, you know, for me, I've, as I've learned more and more over my career about software engineering, it's like, oh, if you have a, a good, you know, kind of API backend, you can build whatever UI you want, but you can also build this command line. It's quicker. You can iterate faster. And if you want something, it's less work than, you know, building this whole UI. So it, it enables us to kind of move and iterate faster and invites people in again to, to kind of contribute if they have ideas. Some of our features and flags on different commands were contributed by the community because, hey, I need to be able to add this to my project, but I don't want to install it. Cool. We took a PR for that to have a no install option. And now it's available for everybody. That, so that's how I think about it. <laughs> yeah. That's super, super interesting. And like, how do you, like from a product perspective, like, I mean, you know, there has been like so much work done in like research and processes around like user experience, how like to run A-B tests, like to figure out what's the right color there, you know, like all the stuff that we know about like building, let's say, uh, like a, a very graphical, let's say, experience for the user. Uh, 
But what about the CLI? Like, how do you figure out like what's a good experience? How do you design CLI? How do you do that? Yeah, I think we're trying to figure that out. I think there are definitely there's prior art that that we can lean upon. I'm, you know, for, for me personally, I, I was a data engineer prior to this, and now this is my first true product role. So I, there's a bit of, of learning on the job. But the benefits of the way I think we're building Meltano is that it's it is in the open, it's open source. We have this community, and it's a great way to to get that feedback. T talking to people is some of the the best way that I've found to just figure this stuff out. Like my, my takeaway from being, you know, doing product and talking to other product managers is just like the more you can talk to your users, the better off the product will probably be because you're integrating all of that information. Um, we also invite people in, like we'll usually have specs around, hey, this is what we're thinking for this specific functionality, whether it's like a new command and like, what are the subcommands? What are the structure? We also had a fantastic engineers who bring their software engineering skills and say like, hey, this is what I would recommend. What do you think of this? And me going, okay, yeah, the, the problem we're trying to solve, it does this, you know, here's kind of the overall ergonomics. So yeah, it's small iterations and then doing it in a way that it's not, you know, fully irreversible. Yeah. I think we needed to roll something back. Yeah, I love that. Like, I hope like one day you write like a blog post or something, like the experience of like building a CLI. Like, I, I truly believe that there's nodes. I think there's like a lot of experience with people that they have built that stuff out there, but I don't think that like, from the perspective of like the product discipline, we have codified this information in a way that like people can go and like learn, right? Like, yeah. and find this information out there. So, I don't know if you ever do it. Please let me know. Like, I'd love to read that. Uh, yeah. It's super interesting. It's something that like, I carry a lot, actually. Like, I'm very, like, curious, like, personally, like, how we can define, like, developer experience and how we can build, like, the CLI tools in that. Yeah. And we the tracks are the way, you know. Yeah. I, I'm starting to, you know, d doing a relatively, you know, new job, I think you, you learn all the things you don't actually know. So I literally, I just started reading the design of everyday things. Can't remember the author's name, but excited to dive more into to design more broadly and just kind of bring everything to bear. Because a lot of like what I've brought to the product job is, you know, at one point I was in the target persona, and now I get to talk to a ton of people that are in our target persona, understand where you know my experience is different from theirs, and that, that's what ma has made this really enjoyable. It's like I get to build, help build a product that is solving problems that you know I experienced personally in the past, and that yeah. I know a lot of people are experiencing today. And yeah, that, that's the fun part of being in product. There are also like some parts that are not that fun, but we'll discuss that another time. It's, yeah. Today, let's stay positive, right? <laughs> uh, all right. So, okay. I, I, I think like we have like a good idea of like how the experience of like working with Meltan is like different. One of like the very interesting problems when it comes like to ETL solutions that has like engineering, product, and business, let's say, consequences, like depending on like what kind of like strategy you're going to follow there. It's like the connector, right? At the end, like without the connectors, there's no idea. Like you need like to pull data from somewhere and like process the, the data like somewhere else. And there's like a lot of discussion about there's, like a long tail of connectors out there. There are like some very important connectors out there. How do you deal with that? Like at Meltano, I see that, uh, like, for example, like on, uh, I was like browsing like the website, like really fast. I saw the, like the comparison between like Fivetran and Airbytes. 
like you claim that you support like 300 plus like connectors, for example, compared like to like, I don't know, 150 or 200 plus like the others. What does this mean? Like how, like how do you end up in a, like in a situation where you have like 300 connectors out there? Like what are these connectors? What, like why do we need those connectors? Yeah. So that number comes from, we have our, it's called the Meltano hub where we're listing all of these connectors. And to be super clear, this is our understanding of the like larger Singer ecosystem. So when Meltano mm-hmm. was started, you know, Singer was already a project initially supported by Stitch, now Talon. Um, and when we say there's 350 plus connectors for Meltano, there are at least, you know, 300 connectors that we found in the wider community that other people have made that conform to the Singer specification. And that's where the power comes in, in, in these long tail connectors is you can write a connector and as long as it, it meets the Singer spec in terms of the data that's being output from this tap, it can be accepted by a, any target. We, for the long, for the longest time, really took a somewhat hands-off approach to the maintenance of the connectors themselves and said, okay, we're going to address some of these problems around transparency, around testing, around building new ones, but we're, we haven't taken on the burden of, and the challenge of maintaining these as kind of first party connectors that has actually shifted. We've now taken on, we're starting with a lot of the database taps and targets. Um, but it really is like a decentralized, you know, open source community where people say, Hey, I have this connector. I'm going to build this tap and it solves my problems. Maybe it it solves yours. And so you may might need to to fork the code. We are, you know, in an effort to be more competitive with some of these other tools, we are, like I said, taking over the maintenance of these, the database taps and targets, but they are built on top of the Meltano Singer SDK which is really a lot of people's first introduction to Meltano. They're like, oh, I need to build this custom connector for whatever reason, whether it's some, you know, weird API or they just want to pull some data internally and they, some, for some whatever reason, they, they couldn't find it. People find us a lot through the SDK. And so we are investing heavily in, in improving the SDK. We recently brought a, a batch message type, which basically means instead of, one, one key part of the Singer spec is that every record is output on standard out in a new line JSON format. And says like record and here's the data. That's good, especially when you're maybe coming from an API, but for like database sources in particular, that, that can obviously be very slow. So this batch message type is basically a pointer to a file where we'll say, hey, we're gonna extract all the data, write it down to a file. The batch message gets sent to the target and the target knows where to go pick up that file. And we're seeing you know 30 to 90 times X data flow improvement doing that method. Yes. So, so it, it basically means there's a lot of, there's an active community. I think that's one of the differences too. If you look at Fivetran, they maintain all of them. You can't see the code and they're going to be limited in, in kind of the long tail that you can support. Airbyte is, you know, in a better place than Fivetran because they are open source. They are currently in a mono repo. And so everything kind of has to be in their main repo. And I don't want to completely misspeak, but I don't know that you can run forks of connectors within the main Airbyte platform. And whereas we're just saying like, it's good to have a decentralized system. And that's where Meltana Hub comes in to show like just how active the community really is. But it can be really hard to tell for someone on the ground of like, is, is Singer dead? Like I, I go into this Slack channel, but a lot of what you don't see is people just using it day to day, pushing, you know, gigabytes of data through these connectors because it's not as transparent. And so that's what we've really tried to do with some of the features that we brought into the market. Okay. That's super interesting. And like, uh, okay. So how do you balance like 
quantity and quality of collectors, right? Because I'm pretty sure that like if you talk to five drones, they will tell you like, yeah, they will have everything close, but like the quantity of our collectors is like super high. Like, yeah. When you are allow like everyone like to go and contribute out there, which is the complete opposite of that, like, okay, anyone can do whatever they want, like with the code that they contribute there. So how do you balance that? Like how, let's say Miltano as, let's say, coordinator of this decentralized hub of like creating connectors can help like ensure the quality of this connector, because at the end it is important, right? Like if I'm a new user and I see out there like five different implementations of like a connector for Salesforce, which one do I choose and why, right? And what if something goes wrong? Like, is it Meltano's problem or is it like the contributor's problem? And if the contributor does not reply, you know, like you have all these open source, like standard issues, right? That you have to deal with. So how do you do that? Like as Meltano, right? Yeah. I think, yeah, frankly, we're going to figure that out. It's absolutely going to be based on the, the SDK. And so what we're seeing with that is, is we're getting a lot of good contributions as people maybe discover weird quirks about a particular API that they're working with. They'll implement the fix in their connector and that improvement comes into the SDK. And so likely like Meltano is not going to offer support for connectors that weren't built on Meltano SDK. But as it makes sense to say like, hey, a lot of our users are using Facebook or Google ads, you know, a lot of the marketing ops type data sources, if they're built on the SDK, I think we will absolutely start to take on the maintenance of those because that solid foundation, you know, one improvement for a particular connector can spread out across, across all of them. I think the other balance is recognizing that, um, people do have like different quality and stability needs. Some folks are fine with a, a community tap that maybe isn't fully tested, but they can just try it out and see and, and see what happens. One of, one of the things that I haven't mentioned about Meltano is that it has this native understanding and built-in feature around environments. And so if you have a staging table or if you want to write locally to DuckDB, you can test out the, the quality and, and the capabilities of different tools, particularly you know taps and targets in a safe manner. And then if you like what you see, you can just run that in production and override certain configuration. And that Meltano makes it easy. That's kind of like the software development principle of having testing and continuous integration and things defined in code is you can have this safe space to to test things. So I think for us, as we you know actually build out, manage, actually start to onboard customers, we'll have these conversations around like, well, what are the data sources that you want? And we'll just kind of, we'll kind of go from there. But the thing that's interesting is a lot of these connectors actually work really well for the majority of, of people's use cases. And it's only when you start to like really push the boundaries hard on, on some of the data volumes that it starts to maybe be, be challenging for some particular data teams. And so I, I'm just, I'm excited to have those conversations and see what we need to do, but like, it's absolutely going to be based on the, mm-hmm. the SDK. I, okay, I actually one... have a, a oh. question that for, for both of you, because one thing that's interesting, because both of you have d- such deep experience in this world. But one interesting thing is if you need something, let's say, you know, modified or custom that isn't offered out of the box by a black box SaaS provider, a la, you know, Fivetrain or whatever. Like one of the challenges I think a lot of companies run into is like, okay, well, we'll run sort of these like 
core pipelines and like a five tran and use the interface and set it and forget it. But then you go from there and it's like you you build something custom or even use open source technology to manage something custom. And so now you're managing the same basic data flow across two like very different ecosystems. And but it's basically the same process. Orchestration becomes harder. Like there are a number of challenges there. One thing that's interesting to me, just hearing you talk to that, Taylor, is that okay, so you have like let's say supported connectors that are, you know, or taps that are like core or whatever. But if I need to develop something custom, I'm not actually going to a completely different ecosystem. Right. That's like fairly compelling. Is that part of the thesis? And Costas, does that make sense to you? Like having built similar technology? Yeah. So I, I would say absolutely part of the thesis is if you are quickly able to solve your own problem and then fork the code and run it, as long as it conforms to the Singer spec, and I'm sure we'll have you know, some guardrails around that where validating that output Singer data. Um, but you should be able to run that with the, like the managed Meltano platform because you could run it with self-hosted Meltano. So with a, a managed platform, you should be able to, to run that. And that way you aren't forced to either go, I'm going to go buy another SaaS tool that happens to randomly do this, or I'm just going to stand up some random Python script. Yeah, We can help you like have those best practices while quickly solving your problems. And then once it's up and running, you can kind of behind the scenes, like incrementally bring it back into the fold of like the well-maintained, mature data process. I and mean, you don't have to like reach for these other tools. Yeah. For me, what is like very interesting with that, and like just want to add like to what like Taylor was saying about the developer experience. Like if you want like to define developer experience, you have like two very important interfaces, right? One is the CLI and the other one is the SDK, right? So, and there is a reason that like the developers need access to both of them. Like, okay, we can chat a little about that, but having access to an SDK that you can use to modify the behavior of the system in a predictable and like safe way. It's super important when we are talking about like something that it's consumed and it's used as a system by a developer. Yeah. Now, obviously like a developer will prefer to have the connector there working, right? Like not have like to write that. Who wouldn't like that, right? right? But that's why you're an engineer because there are edge cases, there are like issues that you only care about. That's why you're in the, the, the company and you might have like to be able to extend the behavior of the system that you are working with. Like that's like, I think like a very big difference between developer experience and like user experience is that like user experience is like super guardrails, right? Like what you can do on a user interface is like defined by the visual components that there are there with predefined behavior. While when you're talking about like developers, you need also like to give them, let's say the tools to extend or change somehow like the behavior of the system, right? Yeah. And uh, yeah, like it makes total sense when you're working with this persona. Now we can debate if this persona is like the best persona for this problem, which is moving the data around. My opinion is that it is, but someone else might have like, I don't know, like I might have like a different opinion and that's like fair, right? That's why we're competing out there. But uh, yeah, like I think it, it, for me, it's like a very interesting approach of like solving the problem because 
always like traditional, like a big problem, like with these platforms was that, okay, this is an open set of connectors. Like, how do you maintain that? Like, that's not scalable. Like, you cannot have like an organization with an army of developers out there who has maintaining like every silly, like connector for an API answer. And by the way, it's super hard to find people who want to do that job. Also, right? Like anyone who has tried like to hire developers who are going to maintain like connectors, like they know how hard it is like to do that, right? So building like this developer experience, I think is like a response of like how you can build like a scalable solution to the problem of like moving data around. So yeah, I I think the point that really stuck out to me, what you were saying was like, the modular and like being able to ex- extend it. And, and that's definitely, you know, how we kind of built Meltano generally. Recently, we've taken an effort and this is moving away from the, the singer side a little bit, but out, out of the box with Meltano, you can run DBT, you can run Airflow. And we've been, that's been pretty consistent for a while now. But now we've developed what we're calling an EDK, an extension developer kit, and mm. basically solving the problem of if I wanted to change how Airflow or even DBT was integrated with Meltano, previously it, it took a lot of effort to do that. You had to understand both the code in the Meltano code base and then like what other like weird repos we might have had for how DBT gets installed or how Airflow gets installed. And then also like the Airflow DAG generator that we had. The EDK comes in to basically have a single repo, have a you know similar developer experience to the SDK to make it easy to add new components that run well in Meltano. So We've rebuilt, it's, they're in kind of preview mode and they probably won't be in, in you know, GA for a while, but they're on the hub. So for DBT, all of the adapters that we have, for Airflow, for Superset, and we have the community contributions around Dagster, Elementary, and a couple of other tools that are built with the EDK, give you, like, it's basically the wrapper around how this tool interfaces with Meltano. And it's, I'm really excited about it because it's like, paves the way for the future This for this longer, like, data ops platform that, that we've talked about and hinted at. And in, in, with, with our managed pro- offering, like you'll be able to run DBT on cloud as well. It's not just for the EL side of things, even though that's what we're focused on. So that, that's all in an effort to make it, you know, your data stack like more composable yeah. and a, a really good developer experience. That's super, super exciting. Okay, I'm going to stop asking questions about <laughs> developer experience and connectors because we can continue doing that like for days. And I have like one last question and then I'll give like the meat back to, to Eric. So you mentioned like a number of additional tools out there outside of like the ATL and reality of like the connectors. So there is this new concept of like data ops, right? And I would assume that it's the context, it's the context of data ops that like includes also like orchestration and like quality or like modeling and like all that stuff. So. I want to ask you, like, what is data ops for you, like for Meltano, and how it relates to Meltano itself as a product? Yeah. So data ops, I think I, I really give a lot of credit to the folks from Data Kitchen because they have their data ops manifesto, which yeah, I, I've looked at a number of times across my career. And frankly, I think it does a fairly good job of describing the idea and the, the philosophy on it. The majority of the pieces that are, or the items that are listed, I think they have like 18 or something like that. A lot of them recognize that the data ops term is really about processes around people. A small part of data ops is a technological solution. But the problem I think that data ops as a term 
kind of addresses and is just about recognizing that a lot of data problems have people problems and that there are there is a technological component to it and that there's a way of working that enables you to achieve the outcomes you want faster, more stably, with a higher level of quality, and frankly, in a way that's maybe more enjoyable to do. I think the reductive way of talking about data ops is that, oh, it's just, it's DevOps for data that doesn't fully recognize that there are, you know, stark differences in, in working with data, particularly around orchestration, managing state, and that things like CICD are great, but can be way more challenging when you're talking about, you know, working with a Snowflake database or working with a terabyte, you know, multiple terabytes of data. So, so for me, data ops, like I think simply is just, it's a, a bit of a marketing term talking about a way to, to work better as data professionals, recognizing that building your data platform and building your data practice is a lot more akin to software engineering than it is to, to maybe an, another discipline. For Meltana specifically, I think it, we really lean into that software engineering side of things of building your data platform like it was a software engineering product. And I think that manifests in, in how the features of the product look and how people experience them through the YAML files for the command line interface. But yeah, I, I think in a lot of conversations I've had with folks, people like they, they've heard about data ops and they, they get excited. But again, it comes back to like, what problems are you experiencing? Yeah. And for us, it, it's there are better ways of working. And we believe a lot of those are, are working more like software engineers than working like another type of, uh, you know, tech worker. That's great. I think Eric, we should like try to have an episodes about data ops and like just I talk agree. about that, like get some, uh, I don't think like, be awesome. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Thing. And you should be part of the panel yeah. there. Like we should do that. I think it's very interesting. Like when we have like new terms entering like an industry. And being able like to, you know, like clarify, like make it more clear of like what, what this thing is, right? Because that's the, that's the problem you see, like, and that's by the way, a problem that is caused a lot by marketing because the terms themselves, like, okay, they have their own meaning. Like whenever like a new term arises, I think there is a reason for that, but Marketing is trying like really aggressively to capitalize on that and use it as a way like to communicate something. And many times like problems arise from that. I've seen like a lot with like concept like data mesh, for example, right? Yeah. Which is like, okay, like if you read like at the end what the data mesh is, it's okay, like make, make sense what you are reading there, right? But you have like such an aggressive and in some cases also like bad marketing happening around them that like it really like destroys like the semantics behind it that are communicated to people and that hurts the industry at the end, right? So I feel like if we can have like discussions with people that, you know, they are like experienced and they have like a very honest like approach on not, again, it's not, I'm not going against marketing share, right? But just trying like to describe reality, I think it's going to be very beneficial like for the people who are like listening to the show. So yeah. I think we should do that. Putting our product hat on, I think just like focusing on the, the problems that people are having and that data mesh, data ops, data contracts are yeah. tools that are trying to solve problems. And I just like being honest that like a tool is not going to magically solve your problem. There is always going to be some sort of you know, people aspects that you have to deal with. But I, I do believe that technology can enable better ways of working. And so I don't know, 
I don't know that conversation we would have like the full definition of this is what data ops is for, you know, forever and always, but inviting people in and to understand like, these are the problems we're trying to solve. And this is like how this came about, I think would be very beneficial. Yeah. Let's do those. Eric, all your. I love it. Well, we're at the buzzer. So I have several more things to discuss, but we're going to have to do it on another episode. I will say right here at the end though, this episode has confirmed my theory, Costas, which I opined to you about in a recent Shop Talk episode about logic moving further and further down the stack. And I think like CLI is the best example of that, right? Like it's going lower and lower. So I, that's, it's been very validating for me <laughs> in terms of that theory about business logic, you know, being expressed as code. So thank you, Taylor, for validating one of my wild theories. And congrats on all the work you've done at Meltano. What an ecosystem. I mean, amazing contributions and best of luck as you continue to build. Thank you so much for having me on. I really enjoyed the conversation and, and glad I could confirm your hypothesis around the industry. <laughs> what a fascinating product. And I'll have to say my big takeaway is that, you know, you don't hear this very often, but Meltano as a company has a huge vision for being a, you know, data ops layer for the stack. But they really listened to their customers and went back to the problem, the main pain point that their customers had, you know, which is actually on the pipeline side of things. And so I just think that takes a lot of courage as a company to say, you know, we have this grand vision of what we set out to build, but we're probably too early for that. And so we're going to listen to our customers and go back to those components of the product and make them better so that we can better serve those customers. And I was just really impressed by that. I think that's such a refreshing thing to hear. It doesn't sound as cool as, you know, we're breaking new ground with a data ops layer, which they actually are doing that. But they're also just making a lot of things way better about their core product and the core problem they solved and what they're hearing from customers. And so I just really appreciated that. Yeah, 100%. I think what you just described is, let's say, a proof of like the quality of the people that they run both the business and the product, the company. So that's not easy to achieve. And like, I think we should congratulate them for that, right? And I think it's also like, you can see like how valuable it is to have someone leading your product function who comes like with a very deep knowledge and understanding the problem space and makes total sense that this is happening here because Taylor was a practitioner. Like he was dealing with this, like, so yep. he can empathize with the user and he can build something that iterates much faster on like, you know, like converting the solution to like much, much faster to the solution, like convert to other like products out there. So yeah, that was like super refreshing and super encouraging. And like, it was like lovely to chat with him and share like all the like opinions and like share the knowledge that he has about like how to build a product that it's going to be successful in the long term and not just have trying like to capitalize on the hype day, which is great. 
Yep, I love it. Well, if you enjoyed that, many more great episodes and guests to come. Subscribe if you haven't, and we'll catch you on the next one. We hope you enjoyed this episode of The Data Stack Show. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app to get notified about new episodes every week. We'd also love your feedback. You can email me, Eric Dodds, at eric at datastackshow.com. That's E-R-I-C at datastackshow.com. The show is brought to you by Rudderstack, the CDP for developers. Learn how to build a CDP on your data warehouse at rudderstack.com.